Well, let us return then to Jonah chapter 3 as we continue our look at the book of Jonah. We're going to look at this chapter. We're not going to highlight one particular text. Instead, we're going to look at this short chapter of 10 verses. And the title I'd like to give to our meditation this morning is Down and Out. Down and Out. Now, I know that in modern parlance, when we say someone is down and out, we basically mean that he's come to an end. He's got no prospects. He's as low as he can go. He's got no job, no opportunities, no prospects, no hope. That's normally what we associate when we call someone who is down and out. Well, that's not the way that we want to look at Jonah today when we entitle our, our meditation Down and Out. He certainly was down. We noticed that last week. Down, down, down is what we called our sermon last week. He had gone down to Joppa. He had gone down into the hold of the boat or the ship. And as we looked at his prayer last week, he says that he went down to the bottoms of the mountains in the sea. And also we noticed that he went down into the fish's belly. But now, friends, he was out. He was out. We noticed last week, verse 10 of chapter 2, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. So he was certainly down. He was on a beach somewhere, we imagine. We don't know. We haven't been given the details. But he was certainly down. The first chapter we looked at some time ago would remind us about God's patience with Jonah. And the second chapter that we looked at last week, it would remind us and tell us about God's mercy with Jonah. But in this chapter here, chapter 3, what we're going to look at is it's God's power through Jonah. God's power through Jonah. Here we find him then on some kind of beach somewhere. We don't know. The place hasn't been intimated to us. Jonah went through a most horrific and dreadful experience, and it was because of his disobedience. He had a clear commission from the Lord his God that he chose to ignore, and he suffered the consequences of disobeying the Lord his God. Well, God had spoken to him by the mariners, the mariners had told him to pray and to call upon his God, which he refused to do. God then spoke by the storm to him. And then God spoke by sending a fish to rescue him. But now, when he was down and when he was out, what do we find? The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Verse 1, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. 
Well, we want to highlight, therefore, upon Jonah's experience in chapter 3. And there are three things that I'd like to highlight with you uh, this morning from this chapter. Three things related to Jonah, to his experience, which we trust will also be beneficial and appropriate and edifying for ourselves. First of all, then, notice here, surely we are correct in saying that he was a forgiven man. He was a forgiven man. Surely we noticed that last week with that prayer, that prayer that was saturated with scriptural portions in it and scriptural truth. He was the one who knew the one true and the living God. And when he was down, and when he was really down in the fish's belly, he cried out to the Lord his God. And his prayer was full of Scripture, full of the Word of God. And here we find the Lord has answered his prayer. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh. What is this teaching us? Well, surely this is teaching us that God was going to give this prophet a second chance, a second opportunity. Now, we live in a day and in a time when there are some in the Christian church who will tell us there's a second opportunity. What do I mean by that? Well, there are people who tell us that when we die, there is an opportunity to be reconciled to God. Well, friends, we don't believe that for one moment. We don't believe that whatsoever. We believe that today is the day of grace. Today is the time and opportunity that God has given to us in our providence, or in His providence, in our lifetime, that we have this day, this time, this opportunity to be reconciled to God. There are, there are no second opportunities, none whatsoever. And when we pass on into eternity, there's no gospel for you. There's no prayer for you. There's nothing that a, a clergyman can do or say when it comes to that, that funeral service. It matters nothing. He can be elaborate. He can speak of a, about a wonderful person, but it matters not. Your eternal destiny is set. It is sealed. The moment that you pass into eternity, your day of grace is over. When did your day of grace begin? Well, we could argue about that, but certainly from the day of your birth. We believe that John the Baptist was regenerated even before his birth. So maybe you could argue that the day of grace is even precedes our birth. That's a debatable point. But certainly from the day of our birth until the day of our death, we can safely state that that period is truly our day of grace. But if we were wise, if we were really practical about these matters, we would have to say that the real op time and opportunity to embrace Christ is probably much shorter than that. 
we have to come to surely a time of discretion, a time when we understand the gospel. Yes, we do believe that infants who die, they are safe and secure in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We most certainly do believe that. But surely our day of grace begins, our practical day of grace begins when that time when we come to understand the gospel, when we come to that point in time when we realize we're a sinner and we realize that God is a holy God. Now that time can vary from one person to the next. And also, if we go to the other scale of our age, very often in old age we are not what we once were. We don't have the, the same faculties. Our minds may well go. We may not be able to understand things that we once understood. That is why Solomon urges us to remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not. And as we constantly say, these evil days are the days of old age. And what Solomon and others are telling us that ordinarily, and I stress ordinarily, our day of grace is much shorter than we might think. We don't have a second opportunity, therefore, to get right with God. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the time to lay hold on the Lord Jesus Christ ordinarily. We are not to think to ourselves, for instance, what are we, 40 or 50 or 60? We have all our faculties. Are we not then to say to ourselves, well, when I get older, then I can embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we don't know how many days we've got, and we don't know what our life might, might be at the end of our days. Well, we have the mental capacity to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we not realize that to become a Christian requires effort? It requires repentance and faith, and these things are not easy. And therefore, when we say about a second chance here for Jonah, we're not talking about a second chance for salvation. Jonah was a believer. Jonah was one who believed in the living God. When we talk about a second chance, he got a second chance to take up that wonderful commission that was given to him by the Lord his God that he had disobeyed initially. But is there not wonderful comfort here for all of us? Is this not wonderful? God is a forgiving God. God is one who forgives this, this disobedient prophet, this di disobedient prophet who had a wonderful, glorious commission given to him. He was set apart for this commission, and he disobeyed. 
But the Lord had worked upon him, brought him to that point when he was repentant, and the Lord commissioned him again to go forth and to take up that commission. He was disobedient. He was one who exercised terrible sinful behavior, but he was forgiven. Oh, do you not think, friends, therefore this would give his ministry some clout? Here was one who could talk about forgiveness of sins. Here is one who by his life would be able to testify that God indeed is merciful and God indeed is gracious. Because he knew it in his own experience. He knew it. He had tasted that God was good. Is that not what the psalmist says to us? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Could not Jonah stand before the people of Nineveh, those wicked, violent people, those great idolaters and sinners, and could he not say in some sense, look, look at me, look what happened to me, a prophet, a man distinguished by, by God, yet I was disobedient, but God would not let me go. And he brought me to where I am now, and I have been forgiven. And would he not therefore be able to say to these wicked people, Will God not be merciful to you? Is this not why I am here? Could he not say that to them? God was determined that this message would be delivered to the Ninevites. And no matter how disobedient Jonah was, that message would be delivered. You can just imagine what an impact this forgiven man had made upon the Ninevites. We repeat, we know nothing about his experience, where he landed. God knew, obviously, because God was able to speak to him. God met Jonah. Met him. Again, this was showing that he was forgiven. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. God met him. And God spoke to him. And God recommissioned him. And God gave him that great challenge. Nineveh, a great city. We don't know what happened to him inside the belly of the whale. In our own stomachs and bellies, there's lots of acids. What it must have been like in the belly of the whale for that period he was there. It may well have affected his skin. It would have been dark for a period of time anyway for when, when he was in the whale's belly. And maybe all these acids had an effect upon him. But when he was disgorged from the whale, he may have looked totally different. His skin may have been changed. We don't know. His very physical appearance may have been a sign unto the Ninevites. This is no ordinary individual. Look at his experience. Look at his physical condition. 
Look at what ha has happened to him. And he would have been able to stand there and proclaim his uncomprehending message with them as a forgiven man, someone who had tasted that the Lord was good. And he had a great commission. Nineveh was a great city. What are we told here in the verse 3? Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Now that may well mean it would take him three days to get there. But more likely, it would mean it would take him three days to get round the perimeter of the city. It was a vast city. And we've, as we read in chapter 4, there were some 600,000 people there. And that may simply refer to the men. So it was a great city. And it was renowned. It was renowned for cruelty and barbarity. They were ones who would think nothing of when they went to war, they would impale people on stakes and they would cut off their heads and they would kill women and children and babies. It mattered little to them. They were full of violence. And here, this man of God was sent forth as a forgiven man to preach the word of the Lord to exceeding wicked and sinful people. Secondly, he was a forgiven man, but secondly, he was a prayerful man. We know that from uh, chapter 2. And when we say he was a prayerful man, his prayer had been answered. Again, can you just imagine as he goes forth to speak this uncompromising message to his audience, that he would be able to say to them, to encourage them, that God is a God who hears prayer. He heard my prayer in the belly of the whale. And therefore, when he was go forth and tell them to repent, because the judgment of God was coming upon the Ninevites, they had this encouragement to call out upon God in prayer, and they would be assured that those who cried out with penitence, with fear, with reverence, that they would be heard. They would not indeed be dismissed, but God indeed would hear them. And therefore, that's, what, that's the way he went forth. He was able to use his own experience to encourage people to call upon the name of the Lord his God. Well, all of these things, friends, have relevance to our own personal Christian life. Every one of us should really have something to say. We should be able to testify that our sins have been forgiven. Every one of us should be able to say something of prayer, that we know something of prayer, that we know that God is a God who hears and answers prayer. And we should be able to look into our own lives and we should be able to see that God indeed has answered our prayers. 
Has he not answered your prayer when you called out upon him to save you? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is not what you did when you embraced the Lord Jesus Christ, as he was freely offered to you in the gospel when you heard the gospel being proclaimed. Did he not hear your prayer? Is it not true today, Christian, that you have a trouble-free conscience because God has heard your prayer? Oh, we're not going to say for one moment that God has miraculously moved and answered every single prayer that we've ever uttered, that we cannot testify to experiences like we might find in the Acts of the Apostles when they were rescued from prison, when the doors were opened to them, and when angels came and ministered unto them. We're not going to try to say that we have these kind of experiences, although some maybe might be able to talk about these things. But in the everyday, ordinary lives that we seek to live, is it not true that God does answer our prayers? Can we not say that? Well, Jonah could. Jonah was able to stand before them, and he was able to testify that God indeed is a God who hears and answers prayer in the most unlikely way, because he was standing before them as one whom God's voice had heard, and he was delivered. But let us not think for one moment that it's all down to us personally. What does verse 5 teach us? What does it say? After Jonah had cried out in verse 4, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And verse 5 tells us at the very beginning, So the people of Nineveh believed God. Jonah had a testimony. Jonah had a wonderful testimony. Jonah had an extraordinary testimony. And we might say to ourselves, well, we don't have that. And who can say they have it? None of us. But Jonah, Jonah's message was not believed simply or primarily because of Jonah's experience. The people believed the Word of God. God's Word, His simple message. In the Hebrew, Jonah's message could be uttered in five words. Five words. And when they heard that, they believed God. Why is this, friends? This is because God's Word itself carries power and authority. God is pleased to bless His own Word. Yes, He works through instruments. We're not going to deny that. And Jonah was an instrument. But nevertheless, the success of Jonah's preaching was down to the fact that he was preaching simply the Word of God. And this is to encourage us, because very often we think that it's all due to the success of the preacher, and he must be a good preacher, he must be a good speaker. Well, these things are important, and we strive to do the best that we can. But ultimately, 
The success of the message does not depend upon the messenger. Jonah had a wonderful message, and it was God's message, and God sent the blessing. And when they heard Jonah speak, they realized this is from God. This is not a man. This is from God. And as a result, they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. And what do we find? We find really a catalogue of people turning to the Lord God in repentance from the very lowest person in the field to the king in his court to the animals that were all covered in sackcloth and ashes and they sought the Lord and verse 9 tells us who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not why would they say this they recognized they were sinful people. They recognized their violence. That's what it says in verse 8. And from the violence that is in their hands. Why did they think that God would be merciful to them who were idolaters, who were wicked, who were sinful, who were estranged and separated from God, who were not the covenant people of God? Why did they think like this? Well, they thought like this because there was Jonah. And Jonah had experienced the grace of God. And they said to themselves, well, if God had mercy upon his prophet, his disobedient prophet, can we not then believe that God will have mercy upon this disobedient people? And friends, is this not an encouragement to every single one of us? Why do we not call upon the name of the Lord? Why do we not call out to the Lord Jesus Christ that he might save us? Has he not saved others? Has he not saved others who were up to their neck in sin? And do you think he will not have mercy upon you? Whatever your state, you are to realize that God is a merciful God. God is one who delights in mercy. It's one of his attributes, mercy. They believed it. And we must believe these things. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one who sent the Savior in order that we would be able to proclaim a gospel, a gospel that meets all the attributes of God, a God that reveals, a, a, a gospel that reveals the, the wisdom of God. Who could possibly devise such a, a glorious plan in eternity that meets and satisfies the love, the grace, the mercy, the wrath, the holiness, the righteousness 
of God. We could never do it. Angels could never devise something but God, the triune God has and did, and that plan has been executed, and that plan has been completed. Jesus Christ cried out, it is finished. And we know that his work was acceptable. For he ascended up into heaven, and he sits at God's right hand even today. Well, this is an encouragement to every single one of us, to the individual, to the individual unbeliever. It's an encouragement to come. It's an encouragement to put your faith and hope and trust upon the mercifulness of God. But it's also an encouragement to the wayward and the disobedient believer. We might be like Jonah. We might have a commission like Jonah. Whatever that commission is, and we might be running away from it. And we might well feel we're down, 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 and down and out with no hope. Well, it's not the case with the living God, because he gives a second opportunity. And therefore, we are to grasp that second opportunity. We are to recognize that God is merciful, even to the disobedient believer. But stepping back and looking at the commission and the work of the church, is this not an encouragement to us and for the church in general to take God's word and to proclaim it? Who would give Jonah any hope for his commission that God had given to him. Here was one man, a Jewish prophet, and he was going to a foreign land, a wicked, corrupt foreign land, full of violence. And would not people have said to Jonah, you've got no hope. You'll have your head cut off before you even get to Nineveh. But he went. And he preached a clear, definite message from God. No doubt he elaborated, elaborated upon his preaching. We're not to think for one moment that he simply repeated these five Hebrew words. No, no, no. He would have opened up. He would have explained. He would have expanded. He would have been particular about the sins that they had committed. He would reveal to them why God was angry with them and why God demanded that they repent, otherwise they would be overthrown. But nevertheless, he was, he was one who stuck to the message and proclaimed it against all odds. And he was successful because they believed God. Well, surely this is where we find ourselves today. Nineveh, friends, is out there in Glasgow, or in Edinburgh, or in Aberdeen, or in Inverness. It's all there. All the sins that have been committed in Nineveh away back there some two and a half, three thousand years ago, they're right on our doorstep. 
What good is a preacher to go forth and to preach? Who's going to listen to him? But when God's word comes with God's power, people listen. And there is an outcome. There are results following the preaching of God's word. And God saw their works, we are told. Verse 10. Repentance. There's always evidence for it. Always. Didn't John the Baptist say something like this? Bring forth meats for bring forth fruit meat for repentance? Is that not what he said about his preaching in his preaching? Did you not say this? Bring forth fruit meat for repentance. Repentance is not just an academic matter. Lives are transformed. Behavior is transformed. People can see a difference. God could see a difference in the wicked Ninevites. It was heart repentance. It was real turning away from sin. Because the people believed God. They believed the message that God's messenger had proclaimed. Well, thirdly and finally, he was an afflicted man. He was an afflicted man. He was a man who disobeyed God, and the Lord afflicted him as a result. But what wonderful blessings came from his afflictions! Oh, he had a terrible experience. It wasn't easy for him in any sense what he went through, but he was an afflicted man. And as a result, his afflictions brought great blessing to the people of Nineveh. And that is what happens with God's people. We all have afflictions, some more than others. But these afflictions will be blessed to the afflicted and to others around. Nineveh, um, Jonah, was one who disobeyed God. And as a result, he was heavily afflicted for it. Yet God turned these afflictions to the blessing of Nineveh. And indeed, we might say, to the blessing of Jonah himself. He was a transformed individual. Whatever view of, that he had of God before, now through his afflictions, his knowledge of God developed and matured. It was far from perfect, as we shall see as we go through this story. But nevertheless, he had matured. He could see the hand of God. He could see something that he never saw before. And he knew something of the mercy and grace of God before, but now he saw it in an even greater measure and manner when it was exercised towards the Ninevites, the very enemies of the people of God. 
The prophet Jonah was down and out when he was cast out of the whale's belly. But he was recommissioned by the Lord to go and preach to the Ninevites. And the blessing of the Lord followed. Down and out, down and out and up and away, preaching and through God, having a known wonderful success. Amen. And may the Lord be pleased to bless God's word to us. Let us pray together.